Hi, my name is Wizzy Brown. And I'm Molly Keck. And we are with the Texas A&M AgriLife Extension Service Department of Entomology. And this is Bugs by the Yard, where we hope to increase your enthusiasm about bugs in the urban landscape. Today on Bugs by the Yard, we are going to do a complete 180, actually. So last episode, we covered why you should clean up your yard to reduce the amount of insects that you have in the springtime. So, you know, if you're thinking about vegetable gardens and stuff like that, you really don't want those bugs to be there. So today we are going to be covering what you can do to encourage insects and other arthropods to overwinter in your yard. And we're not wanting you to have the pests necessarily. (laughs) We're more targeting native insects like native bees, the native wasps. The good guys are the guys that don't chew up your plants. The ones you don't care if they're around. Or you yeah, want around. Exactly. The beneficials or the ones that just kind of are there. <laughs> I mean, not to say that you won't have some of the pests overwintering as well in some of these locations, but you know, we're really trying to focus on encouraging the, the good guys to be around that way when spring does come around, you have those as well. The first thing I'm going to start off with the obvious and like pretty easy one. You can either buy or build a insect house, habitat, condominium, whatever you want to call it. (laughs) If you Google it online, you can buy pre-made stuff. It's super easy. It might make a good Christmas gift for a loved one. Naturalist. Yeah. Yeah. That would be a great thing. But I know with me, I know a fun project that I did with a bunch of kids, like in a classroom is we, we built our own. Mm -hmm. And that was a lot of fun. You know, we had a, one of those giant kind of industrial sized cans Mm -hmm. and you just like, after you do it, you clean it out and then make sure that you're not having any sharp edges, but then you give this giant can to a kid and you're like, okay, here's all this material, fill it up. And they look at you like, what, what I can, I can do what? And we had sticks and bamboo and toilet paper rolls and pine needles and pine cones and shredded paper and just anything kind of organic base that will eventually break down. And it was like, they were overwhelmed because it was just like, well, I can do anything that I want. Mm -hmm. And when you have a whole classroom of kids building these, and then when you get done, you can compare okay, you did this and what do you think is going to come into your house? And what about this? And you can look at the differences and kind of compare those. It was such a fun project to do. The other thing that you can do, obviously, with an insect house is you need to figure out where you're going to put it. You know, you, you need specific locations for an insect house. You don't want to, you know, stick it on the front porch. (laughs) because (laughs) that's, that's going to bring the stuff right to you, um, which probably isn't what you want. So you do have to think about placement. And when you do think about placement, you need to kind of think like a buck, you know, Mm -hmm. where are they going to go to look for 
some place to hang out over the colder winter months. It could be anywhere. And I mean, and it also depends on, you know, what kind of bugs you want to attract because some of them are going to be on the ground. And so Mm -hmm. if you put it on the ground, then, you know, those insects are going to be able to move into there, but you can also mount it on a tree or on a fence or, you know, wherever, and that can get a whole new set of insects or arthropods moving in. Is that, that's where I always imagine that you would get butterflies that overwinter as adults, which aren't a ton, but there are some and moths, or I would just assume flying insects or what are going to overwinter, um, in your tree mounted houses. Exactly. Yeah. And then like on the ground stuff, you're going to get earwigs and ground beetles and you know, that's centipedes, <laughs> maybe even scorpions. So be careful. Yeah, definitely. If you're poking around in there, you definitely want to be careful. So the other thing that you do have to think about when you have a insect house, and this is why it makes a great gift for a naturalist, because it's kind of one of those year round, multiple year things, because you can go out and, you know, look at it because that's what us nerdy bug people do. We go out and we look for bugs And so that's a great thing because you can kind of see the almost a succession of stuff Mm -hmm. because you get those insects that move in and then you start seeing the predaceous stuff moving in like spiders. And then you sometimes will get, you know, the, the anoles or the geckos that come in and they're starting to eat stuff and birds might possibly come Mm -hmm. in. That could be really cool in itself that you can watch that happen. But if you are more, I guess, tenderhearted and don't want to see the circle of life happening in your backyard, then you can get a fine mesh screening to put over the front of it that's going to keep the larger stuff out, like, you know, the lizards and birds and things like that. You obviously don't want to put so fine of a mesh screening on there that your insects aren't going to be able to get in and out because that kind of defeats the purpose. Right. Another big one I know in my yard, well, not actually, not, not in my yard. It's not my trees. It's my neighbor's trees. The leaves are falling off of the trees. I have live oaks. So mine are going to drop in spring, but my neighbor has, one of them has a burr oak and the other has a red maple and those leaves are falling off the tree right now. And of course, you know, as soon as it's windy, they blow directly into my yard. Mm -hmm. (laughs) This kind of leads to the next thing is, do you rake the leaves up or do you leave them where they are? What do you, do you guys do at your house? We, we mainly have live oaks, but if I pretend like my live oaks would drop now, instead of in the spring, we usually just leave them. And if it was winter time, I think we would still leave it. I feel like it kind of keeps the ground warmer for whatever's living under there, keeps that soil a little bit warmer. And then when springtime comes, if the leaves are still there and you mow it, you can produce mulch and good organic matter for the lawn to come back nice and pretty and green next year. Yeah, definitely. I mean, the, the fallen leaves are definitely going to break down. They're going to produce nutrients. And like you said, it's definitely creating shelter for whatever might be hanging out there. I guess we do have a bunch of cedar elm and they drop leaves, but those are like teeny tiny baby leaves. And they usually go flying into my house or stuck to my dog, but we don't ever rake those guys up. We always just leave them and we have a lot of space. So if we mow it and we mulch it, you don't really notice it, but I, I can see why a lot of people like to bag that stuff up. If you have a smaller 
lot and you don't want to see it all the time or it's just everywhere. Right. There's a purpose for it. Yeah, definitely. And so, I mean, if you, if you live in a neighborhood where, you know, you kind of have things managed and they don't want you to have leaves all over your lawn, because there are some places like that, you can do something like I do. Usually what I do is I rake the leaves out of the grass area that I have, and I put them into my beds and I kind of pile them up underneath the trees and put them around the plants. And so that not only is going to help break down and be mulch for those plants, but it's also providing sheltered areas for insects and other actual animals that you can have. So that's another really good one is to just leave the leaves. That's actually a kind of saying that a lot of people like to utilize when they're doing that. So another thing that some insects, especially native bees will use are they will overwinter or lay eggs in pithy stems of plants. Mm -hmm. Like in my yard, I have blackberry canes. So those older canes that aren't necessarily producing fruit the next year, I leave those that way things can be in there and sheltered and whatnot. But any of those pithy stemmed plants that I, I can't think of any more offhand. I, my brain is dead at this point, <laughs> but you can certainly leave those in place. And then kind of later in the spring, you can prune those off that way. It gives those insects time to emerge out of those plants and kind of along with that, if you have flower stalks, like wildflowers or something like that, mm-hmm. those are good to sometimes leave in place during the winter. If you're talking about things like, uh, you know, sunflower, definitely, or asters or coneflower, any of those, uh, there's a lot of those that animals will use those seeds as a food source over the winter. So you could leave those seed heads on the plant in the winter time. That way you have that. And that's not necessarily shelter for insects per se, but leaving the flower stalks and stuff like that can be producing those stems that the insects can live in, but they can also shelter around the base of those plants if you want to. And And then you can prune those seed heads back in the early springtime and you can Uh, clear those out. And that's a good point though, because I think a lot of people think that when it gets cold, a certain degree bugs just go to sleep. They're just gone. But we have these up and down temperatures that are crazy. It could be freezing one day, like we saw last February, and then it's 75 days later. So they're going to sleep and waking up and going to sleep and waking up. And if there's no plant material for them to feed on, then that's bad for their life cycle. So if you can leave them some food when they do happen to wake up, then that's all better for them. Yeah. So another idea, if you are pruning other types of plants, uh, instead of cutting them off, like clear down to the ground, you can cut those stems off at varying heights. And then things Mm -hmm. that do nest in those stems they have different diameters to choose from. Cause if you think about a stem of a plant, it's going to be thicker down at the base and then it kind of gets smaller at the top. And so if you do different heights, 
then you have different sizes that would provide homes for different sized insects. And then if you want to go a step further, you can either mulch the tops of the plants that you're pruning off. So kind of put those in compost pile or whatever and kind of mulch those around there. Or you can bundle them up and then put them into a sheltered location where those insects can crawl into those spaces and have a nice little habitat to kind of hang out in. So I, I just, I have this like cute little picture. I'm thinking like Mrs. Frisbee and the rats of Nim or something. Yes. <laughs> it's like we have this little bundle and we're going to put it in the lee of the stones. <laughs> They're all snuggled up in there. You're like the, one of the only people in the world that I've ever heard mention that movie. That was like one of my favorite movies as a kid. I even had a pet rat. I named Jeremiah. Oh, that's fantastic. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I love the movie. I love the book. It's just, mm -hmm. yeah, it's fantastic. Um, and then with the, the cut stems, if you do cut the stems at the different lengths and leave those, that's another one kind of like the pithy stems that you want to make sure that you leave in place through spring to allow those insects to emerge out. Because if you cut them down, then, well, you, you could cut them down if you want, but then, you know, kind of leave the stems on the ground. So whatever's in there can actually emerge out. And that way you're not killing it and getting rid of it. Cause that kind of defeats the purpose of everything that you did. <laughs> yeah. Or if you have a native bee house, you could always cut those and stick them into your house and replace it with your old stuff. That is a great idea as well. Another one, if you are thinking about planting things, I mean, obviously it's too late at this point of the year to really plant anything, but if you're planning your garden for next spring and you want to encourage insects to overwinter, you might want to take a look at some of the native grasses, especially <laughs> the ones that are kind of bunchy. In my yard, I have uh, feather grass and mm -hmm. I also have some Gulf muley and muley. those are both like bunchy, bunchy stuff. And I love the muley just with the coloration of it. And it's just, it's so pretty, but really those pretty. work really well because they've got that big root system, but they also have got that big kind of, I don't even know, like glompy section at the bottom where everything comes out of the ground. I don't even know what to call it root ball, something like that. Yeah, that might work maybe, but that provides great habitat and it's possible even for like bumblebees to kind of move into those spaces because they can create a little, a little space stuff that I like about the native grasses is you can buy the little TT tiny ones at the nursery for really cheap. And within the season, they're, they're growing really? crazy. <laughs> I didn't know that because I do want to get some muley grass. So I'm gonna have to look for that in the spring. Yeah, I bought um, especially the feather grass. I bought like two or three little plugs of feather grass and I planted it in my yard and it's everywhere now. And I'm just really like, okay. I can <laughs> transplant some of this. So yeah, I I really like those. Something that probably everybody has now that we went through the freeze last year is dead branches. Yeah. And those are another great thing that you can have either dead branches or the wood pile. I know, you know I, we have a wood pile that we use in our fireplace and 
there's always a ton of stuff in there mm-hmm. and, you know, earwigs, it might not be, you know, stuff that you necessarily want in your house. So you do have to be careful about that and making sure that you're putting your wood pile away from the structure so they don't move inside, but there's cockroaches, there's earwigs. Again, there can be scorpions. So if you're getting firewood, make sure that you're wearing gloves, but you can create something If you don't have something like that, if you don't have a wood burning fireplace or you don't have dead branches or something, there is something like if you want that kind of ecosystem in your backyard, you can get a log of some sort, go into a green belt by your house or ask a neighbor or something. And then you can bring that large log home. Hardwood tends to work best with a lot Mm. of the insects that tend to like that sort of thing. And what you could do is you could lay down that log horizontally, and then you want to bury part of it into the ground. And that's going to allow the moisture to kind of maintain in that log, because there's going to be different things that go into different parts of the log. If you think about like underneath the bark, you'll get things like spiders and scorpions and centipedes underneath the log, the part that's buried, you can get again, centipedes, uh, millipedes, ground beetles. There's tons of stuff, but you also could get things like carpenter bees Mm -hmm. that will bore into the wood. You could get, you know, butterflies, a lot of the smaller butterflies and stuff like that can, and depending on what log or what type of tree you're using, And the bark system on that, that can also create habitat for them. If it has loose bark, then things can get under it. If it has like real knobbly bark, like an oak tree, then stuff can hide in there and kind of be protected in those type of spaces. Probably the the thing that I do need to mention, if you are going to bring a giant log into your yard to plant you don't want to move firewood long distances. Yeah. Um, there are what campaigns, I guess, to have people not do that specifically because we do have things like emerald ash borer here in Texas. It's only in certain parts of Texas, but we are monitoring it. And so you don't want to transport that stuff long distances. So you're not transporting things that are in one area into another area. And of course, if something is infested with bark beetles or something like that, you obviously wouldn't want to bring that into your backyard. (laughs) You want to kind of get something that's free and clear of any sort of destructive type pest. Something that goes along with the wood pile would be a rock pile yeah, or, you know, dry stacking. Do you have um, any like rock walls or anything on your property? We don't. We used to though. One time we were moving this rock pile to make room to put up a new fence and we had tarantulas all in there. I probably found two or three different tarantulas, just some like, and I'm pretty sure a big old centipede came out earwig, some of the, you know, typical things that kind of like that moist protected environment. But, um, I was so impressed. They weren't in the rocks, but they were under the flat part of the rock where they had burrowed a hole and they had kind of made some webbing through the little cracks and crevices in the rock, I guess, where they traveled to get out. I mean, it was like, how many more tarantulas can we possibly find by moving these rocks? So you get some pretty impressive insects with those rock piles. 
That would be so cool. I wish that I had a reason to build a rock wall on my property. <laughs> I mean, if you're if you're going to do this and you have the opportunity, obviously, well, maybe not so obviously, but you would want to do a dry stack so you're not mortaring these things together because that's essentially a going to fill in all of the spaces that those insects and arthropods would use. So you want to do a dry stack and make sure that there are little nooks and crannies and cracks and crevices for that stuff to kind of get in there and use that as a sheltering location. I mean, I think that would be so cool. I like watch these shows from like Britain and stuff, and they have all of those dry stacked walls mm -hmm. that are made out of rocks. And I'm like, oh, all the bugs I could find in there it would be amazing, <laughs> which I'm sure is what everybody else that watches those shows right. is <laughs> just like, oh yeah. Exactly. That's what I want. Maybe they will now. Cause I always, <laughs> to this day, whenever I see anyone that's put up Ivy along a house, I think it looks so pretty, but I always think, no, Wizzy says it's bad. She says it's bad. Yeah. My neighbors, they have stuff climbing and I'm just, I just want to go over and be like, do you know how bad that is? Because termites are just, oh, it's going to be termites, roaches, rats. <laughs> but it's so yes. pretty. <laughs> it is. It's gorgeous. It's absolutely gorgeous. The last kind of sheltering thing that I could really think of is leaving or rethinking your, your lawn. You know, everybody's kind of trained to have this uniformed landscape grass lawn. And I, I don't, I mean, you know, of course I don't, my, I don't want my lawn to look like total poo-poo, but mm -hmm. You know, I, I have bare patches that are in there and it's just where, you know, the grass has died for one reason or the other. And instead of going and filling that in with grass seed and making sure that everything's taken care of and all that stuff, I just kind of leave it. And that is a great way that you can leave areas that can be accessed for those insects that nest in the ground. Mm -hmm. And that could be anything from native bees like digger bees or longhorn bees, dung beetles, because they make little burrows, cicada killer wasps, tarantula hawks. I mean, there, there's just so much stuff that is going to be in there. And if you have everything mulched and everything covered in turf and you're, you're not going to have that ecosystem available to them because they don't have any space to access that ground. I mean, I'm not saying that you can't mulch or do anything like that. It's just when, when they tell you to mulch, usually it's like what, two or three inches of mulch that they tell you to put down just to kind of do a light layer. If you want the insects to be able to access the ground, you don't want something really heavy and thick that they're not going to be able to dig through. Yeah. Think about how you can't really stick a shovel through that much mulch. So if you're a little tiny insect, that's not very strong. You're gonna have a hard time getting through the particles or it's going to take more effort than you are willing to put in. Great. And then probably the last thing, I mean, this doesn't have to do with sheltering locations. I mean, we've been mainly focusing on providing shelter for the different things that we're talking about, but something that kind of goes along with that is water. You need to think about how you are offering water up to the insects. 
And I know a lot of people have some very large bodies of water in their property, but those aren't necessarily the best ways for insects to get water. You know, Molly, what, what happens at your house when the insects come to the pool? The kids freak out is what happens when they come to the pool (laughs) or they drown in it. You know, that I think especially insects, most bees are really fuzzy and they can just absorb all that water and those little hairs. And so they're more prone to drowning. If you've ever noticed wasps can usually land and they can drink and then fly off and flies to some extent too, but the hairier bugs that we like to keep around are going to drown. So you need straw or cork or mulch or something and always dirty water. Cause they like the minerals and the, it smells better. It tastes better to them. It's, I don't know. It's kind of akin to us adding supplements or drops to our water to give it flavor. So we want to drink it more, um, but dirty water and small patches or at least shallow, uh, bits of water with edges where they can crawl to get to the water source. And it could be anything. I mean, you can use whatever container you want. I mean, go to a thrift store and get something cheap for, you know, a dollar, $2, whatever, and then just come home and you can put sand in it. You can put mulch in it. You can put, I don't know, rocks of some sort. Uh, I remember when my kid was young, he filled one up with green army men because that was what he was into at the time. And it was like, Ooh, we're going to do this. Like, okay, that's fine. So just giving them something to land on and that way they don't have to worry about falling into that large area of water. So they don't have to worry about drowning. You know, I know a lot of people are like, oh, well, the bird bath is a nice shallow place. Well, yeah, but if there are birds there and there are birds that eat insects, then (laughs) that might cause issue as well. So, I mean, just something that you need to think about. I think that a lot of people are starting to kind of uh, make this trend away from more native bee houses to insect hotels. A lot of parks, at least in our area are in the San Antonio river authority. They actually had an architect develop this kind of like a trash can, but if you can imagine six trash cans smushed together into one big giant trash can. So it's like a, it's about that high, I would say maybe a little bit taller. It's on a stand, but just this big huge block in the middle of the park and they have a lot of native plants and things around it and it's compartmentalized. And so in every side and section, there's parts within with the native bee tubes. And then they have rocks piled up in another little section. They have a bunch of grass and, and they have signs that encourage in certain times of the year, park goers to add to the hotel. And, um, just, it's a really cool concept and really cool idea. They just put it in, in the summer. So I don't know how it looks now, but I told her it would be really interesting to document and actually have data for what is found inside that hotel. And that would be a good example to do it or a good way to do it. If they had like an intern or something, cause I'm not sure that there's a whole lot of research that's been done on what specific species like to go into those certain different things. And if you could document that, then I think that would encourage more people to do different insect houses or hotels or whatever. That could be a science fair project. If your kid's looking for a science fair project, it could be a master naturalist or master gardener advanced training project that you can do. I mean, there's 
It could be an Eagle Scout project, your final Eagle Scout thing to set one up at a park or something, because you can make it very cheap and it's natural materials that you're adding to it for the most part. So you could use the resources around the park. It's a, it's a neat idea to do. Yeah. And I mean, and that's the cool thing about building an insect house is because the only thing you really need to build or find for stuff is the outside structure. And then Mm -hmm. everything else is just found materials, essentially. I mean, go to a green belt and where am I going to find bugs? Well, there's going to be bugs in the leaf litter. There's going to be bugs in the sticks and cram that stuff in there because if they're using it in nature, then they're going to use it when it's in that insect hotel. Like you said, the cool thing I like that they did about that is they planted a lot of the native plants around that because that's going to encourage those insects to be drawn into that area and then kind of move in to that space. So putting native plants around wherever you have your insect hotel and making sure that you have a safe water source nearby is also going to be important. And of course, when you're thinking about water sources, it's a good idea to maybe have a couple at different heights. That way, you know, have one on the ground that is accessible to the on the ground type insects that are scurrying around, but then If you have insects that are flying, they may access, you know, something that might be of the height of a birdbath. Definitely something to keep in mind. Wouldn't it be neat if you know how when a developer, a builder develops a new neighborhood, if they tear a tree down, they have to replace the tree they tore down, or at least they have to in city of San Antonio. Wouldn't it be cool if you were also required to put in a a native bee hotel, just a small one on those lots so that you had to replace the habitat that you destroyed for the insects? One day, one day things will change like that. Hopefully we will get there. So we are hoping that you will do your part by possibly thinking about setting up some of these overwintering spaces for insects and other arthropods that may be in your yard. Like I said, there's tons of different ideas. You don't have to do all of them. You can do one, you can do however many you want, but all of them are going to help encourage those insects to be able to survive throughout the winter. So keep that in mind as you are perusing your yard, because this is kind of that time of year where it's, you go out in the yard and it's like, well, I don't know what I can do anymore (laughs) because there's not a whole lot blooming. So this might give you some tasks if you want to get outside and be active still. So until next time, thank you so much for listening. And we will, I think, catch you in the the new year. 2022.